Hello, my name is Julia Butler and welcome to the first episode of Resilience. In 2019, I thought I had my year mapped out. A trip to the neurologist blew that up. A provisional diagnosis of multiple sclerosis led to a few months of tests and specialist visits. And on July the 3rd, it was confirmed. Everything changed, and yet to an extent, nothing changed. This was not the first major health challenge I had faced. As a trauma counsellor, I was well aware that the size of a challenge is not proportionate to a person's ability to cope with it. This podcast series is partly for me to strengthen my own resilience through exploring different ways that resilience is embodied. In working through the trauma of learning of my own diagnosis and consequently deciding to end my practice as a counsellor, I turned to expressing myself creatively. This series, with the help of my friend Charles, is one way I'm doing so. I have lived in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales for almost 30 years now, and you will hear through this podcast how uniquely supportive and connected a community it is. In this series, I want to explore how people see resilience and how it manifests in them. I will be asking people what sustains them through difficult times in their lives and what they do in order to strengthen their resilience. But this episode will be a little different to the rest. As a former trauma counsellor, I am aware that those in the helping or therapeutic communities are vulnerable to secondhand or vicarious trauma. So I have begun by interviewing three friends and former colleagues, all who've worked with me at a child protection counselling service some years ago. Really not sure that I could come up with an example of resilience as a quality of the person rather than resilience as a quality of their context. That was Sarah. I first met her in 1995 after moving to the Blue Mountains. Ten years later, we work together. For me, resilience is about scaffolding, you know, so it's that kind of when you're working with a vulnerable person, it's it's that scaffolding of what is there around you to support you right now. Joe and I met at the gym. Again, in typical Blue Mountains fashion, I also knew her sister-in-law. After working together in the public system, Joe was the first person I persuaded to join me when I branched out into private practice. I guess resilience is about coping mechanisms that people kind of develop to survive situations that are thrown at them. Sonia and I met through work and later she came to join us, becoming the third wise and wonderful woman in my team. So sit back and listen to four trauma counsellors discuss resilience, vicarious trauma and what should be the collective noun for a group of trauma counsellors. Hello to Sonia, Sarah and Joe. Has everyone thought of a collective noun for trauma counsellors? I've actually thought of two collective nouns. I had a very long list, but I eventually came down to we're either a clutch of trauma counsellors because we have to clutch at each other for sport (laughs) or uh, we're a stable of trauma counsellors because that's what we're meant to be, very stable. I like that, what we're (laughs) meant to be. That's interesting. Um, Anyone else? I just had a posse. A posse. Love it. (laughs) That's really good. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
What about you, Joe? Did you have one? I only got traumatologists <laughs> because it was the only word I could think of. And it's sort of like contortionists or something like that. It but is. With trauma. Yeah. yeah. Julie, my daughter Darcy said a wine club, but I didn't think that would be appropriate. <laughs> A wine oh. club, W-H-I-N-E, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. We shouldn't say that. No, yeah. but no. <laughs> but um, I was going to ask how everyone was doing during the the lockdown, but the number of times on in the media they've talked about how traumatising the, the lockdown has been, and, and I just keep thinking that's not trauma. Yeah, the word has really, it's kind of escaped out of its bag mm. and gone out into the world as some word that just is, I, I can't think of a comparison, I'm sure there is one, a bit like narcissist at the moment. If you look on Facebook, everybody and their friend is, a, everybody who's mm. not their friend is a mm. narcissist. Um, trauma's kind of gone the same way and people are talking mm. about it. But, yeah, mm. trauma, mm. everything's traumatic and everyone's traumatised. Um in the media yeah. but um yeah. but that's not yeah. what we're, well, we're kind of are talking about that but we're talking about resilience and I think that that word's also very prominent too but I thought um who's better to talk about resilience than, than you guys um because I think through our work over the years one of the things that I've really noticed is I guess resilience in action is probably how I would put it and that what I'm talking about is when I'm sitting with a client and I'm listening to their stories and I'm thinking oh my god how is this person coping so I'm hoping to hear from you guys maybe we could start with how you would think of resilience or how you would describe it I've been sort of pondering this but I sort of think I guess resilience is about coping mechanisms that people kind of develop to survive situations that are thrown at them Mm. which I guess you know traumatic situations perhaps or even just you know overwhelming stressful situations but I do think it really depends on the circumstances around a person and what level of care they're given by whether it's family or friends or how they've been raised that um, allows some people to have more resilient strategies yeah. than others. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good answer. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? I agree with Sonia and I think that because oh, I was trying to think of a, a good example of resilience. You, you mentioned that we'd be talking about it. And I, I kept getting caught in that way of thinking where I was going, oh, that was really great. And then I thought, well, yeah, no wonder it was really great because they had that, you know, we're talking about a kid and they had a really good school. Or, oh, yeah, no, that was really good. And I think, yeah, no wonder it was really good. They belonged to that football club that really supported them or something like that where where they was really not sure that I could come up with an example of resilience as a quality of the person rather than resilience as a quality of their context. I think it's one of those things. I mean, I, I think, I suppose I'm thinking a bit about doing stuff like coaching for foster carers and yeah. having quite often them having difficulty with kids because they see them not being resilient in a way that maybe their own kids are so that the, the foster kids might go to school and get into terrible trouble and just 
completely lose it and you know hit something or or break something or something and they'd be going yeah but the same thing happens to my kids and they don't do that where's their resilience I would see that as that is their resilience because they're fighting and they're angry and they've still got that spirit about them. Well, then that's almost like another uh, definition of resilience, that it's kind of an internal Hmm. life force or something. I think that resilience is that innate capacity to keep on keeping on and when I was just trying to think of some examples, I was just thinking what I found extraordinary when I worked with children who'd had sometimes the most difficult and traumatic start to their life, that their capacity for joy and fun and play and pleasure was still there and their capacity to manage some of their more adverse life events was challenged, but it was, I just found their capacity to keep on keeping on, I guess, w- was extraordinary. And mm. uh, and to mm. me, that's, res- that's resilience. And it was humbling, really, to be in the presence of someone who had suffered so greatly for them to still have this you know, empathy and kindness and all sorts of other things that, you know, people sometimes talk about people who've been traumatized as completely diminished. And and it's, that's just not, that's just not my experience actually at all. I think that when you're working with traumatized children, people just assume that you sit there in this space Mm. where there's just lots of crying and lots of Mm. sadness. And that wasn't my experience either. Yeah. There were moments of sadness and grief and loss expressed really clearly but there were also moments of just pleasure and fun and joy you know and that's that thing I always say you know you these children they've had this shocking life experiences and you know and actually what they want to talk about is their favorite color is purple and I found it an absolute privilege I think being in that space with those children one of the things I used to love was when one of my very first clients that I had, who was about six, really little and really shy, and he used to come in and sit on the couch for the first five minutes, cross his legs and say, well, I've, I've been feeling like this and I had this dream and my dream did this and then I felt like this and then he would just go and be completely wild but it was like someone told him he had to sit down and talk in counseling (laughs) so he did that at the beginning of every session (laughs) it was very cute yeah (laughs) one of the things that I keep thinking about when I think about how we need to be resilient as as counsellors, I keep thinking about the what supports us to do that work. And I think we've all had also experiences of where we weren't being supported and um, the contrast in those two things. So, you know, our example for some of us was being in a team that was very supportive. And I've always said to people, it was the first time I could be in a team where everyone could, you know, have a bad day or not know what they were doing. And it was really emotionally very safe. And then when when it wasn't like that anymore, it, it was just impossible to do the work. The work became so much harder. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And 
I always think of examples. I guess that's the way my mind works. And I just think about the difference to the day if, say, for example, I'd gone out and maybe made a home visit and, and it had gone really badly for whatever reason, to be able to come back and and not even have to say anything really, yeah. like just walk in the room and somebody would see my face and go, oh, that didn't go well, did it? And and be able to go and be it'll be completely open about the mistakes I'd made, as well as everything else that had gone on, and then to move into a culture where it it didn't feel safe to make mistakes, it didn't feel safe to not be keeping up some kind of level of numbers of sessions delivered or something, and and I guess there's lots of lots and lots of things there but one of them is is exactly what we know about working with children is that one of the things we all need but is what they you know they call a sense of mastery the 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 feeling that you can do something and doing that trauma work with children and families is always you're so Mm. on the edge all the time of on the edge of danger, on the edge of risk, on the edge of, you know, you or somebody else around the family or in the family making some blunder. And again, I guess resilience comes into that as well. It's um, trying to work out, you know, is the family strong enough, supportive enough? Is the child going to manage something for this child might not be okay for this other child risks here might look the same as the risks there but Mm. yeah it it also might be quite different as an experience depending on all those Mm. other environmental factors it's such a perfect parallel to what we're talking for about resilience like when I think about myself in those two team situations you were talking about I, I would go, me and anybody else would have gone, oh, what a resilient worker. She just bounces back mm. and she just laughs a lot and she just rushes around and works really hard and whatever. And then yeah. in the different situation, they would yeah. have gone, oh, dear, she's not very resilient, is she? She's not yeah. doing very much work. Um, you know, she's not making very good decisions and completely about context. Yeah, absolutely. I worked, I mean, obviously with you all, which has been like a fantastic experience and learning I guess we all worked together we all helped each other and looked after each other and that was kind of a um a thing I I think that just kept us going in the job that we were in because it was pretty um uh, I guess traumatic the actual work that we were doing plus we were working with trauma yeah Mm. so being able to hold each other um and support each other was really yeah important I guess to keep us there for the length of time that we're all there yeah it was a long time yeah and Joe, you've had various jobs as well I think what I've really appreciated is working with people who understand Mm. And accept what it is to not to know what's going on in any definitive kind of way and just accept that the not knowing and being okay with that and it's and how supportive that is as a practitioner because you're just working all the time with things that are uncertain and shifting and to I guess mm. to sit in that position of not knowing and feel comfortable with that. And it's easier to be in that space and more kind of it creates a more sense of resilience in the work if other people understand that. Because I think people can think that working with trauma is like 
well, if this is happening, you do this. And if this is happening, you do this or you do that. And it's just, that's just not the case that most of the time you're really feeling your way through a situation and you're just doing these kind of, you know, using your sense to work out what's going on so that you're working with people as opposed to kind of, I don't know, putting more obstacles in their way and just having people around you that understand that's what the work can look like is really helpful. Absolutely. It leads me to think about um, then, you know, experiences where if we're not feeling supported and we're not, or maybe we are supported, but the work is just getting to us a lot more than it used to. Um, and that word vicarious trauma or that term vicarious trauma that we've all had lots of training in and probably lots of experience in. So I always think about that as well. And I think that's uh, a really important part of working in the field of trauma is how we then take care of ourselves. One of the things that um, I know from a personal history in, in the workplace and plus with the people I work with that I do supervision with, a lot of people get vicarious trauma not from working with our clients but from the systems and I guess what you know Joe what you were sort of saying is the the blocks that keep coming in front when you're trying to work with people and um, support people and then there's you know things are time limited or Mm. you know the management aren't supportive or you know social work's run by software um, Mm. rather than face to face yeah Yeah. so I think from my um, I guess history is what I see vicarious Mm. trauma happens more to people that don't have the support mm. in the, mm. the system rather mm. than what they're actually working with or, or faced with day to day. Yeah, a lot of that the systemic issues are really problematic. Like I can just think of, you know, say, for example, you know, when that more broadly, the, the, the people who've been in, impacted by bushfires say, you know, that it was very traumatic losing their home and their community, but then to be, they were re-traumatised by this, political and insurance systems that were in place around them post post fire that was actually more traumatizing the act than the actual fire and I think when you're working with um, children and families and adults who've been you know assaulted in any way that it it it's, isn't just the actual incident it's like that you know the, the expectations or the pressures or the limitations or the the impositions that are put on people after the event and I'm you know thinking of the way that people have to justify their experience in order to get support and all those other things that can actually yeah and ultimately end up being a lot more traumatizing or as traumatizing as the events that kind of precipitated it. Another part of of the systemic problem I suppose is the lack of recognition of vicarious trauma which I think that was something that, in terms of my work history, that changed over the time I was working for big organisations from being completely unrecognised to being recognised as a possible thing, but not in a way that I thought was very helpful, as in, like a lot of things with organisations, it would be recognised but not seen as, how, how would you put it, like an occupational health and safety hazard 
that you should be really aware of on behalf of your staff, mm. but that it's a falling down on the part of the worker. Yes. And it kind of takes you back to resilience. And then it becomes unsafe to talk about again because then you you know that this yeah. is part of the yeah. ebb and flow of, of the job. And I would always had a list when I first started work about what are the signs that you uh, have reached burnout. So that's another word for vicarious trauma, really, isn't it? And um, being an, a new counsellor, I would look at this list and think, oh, if I, you know, if I got that, if I got that, am I doing this? Am I doing that? When you're in those big systems, or you're you're involved with children who are involved in those big systems, you become aware quite quickly that a lot of the workers in those systems and that's Mm. in health and in the police and facts or docs and schools and everywhere um, is burnt out but you're trying to work with people who are burnt out and then the system around the child is really falling down and not supporting them because the system can't support its own workers to just go you know what you would like is for them to go you need six months Mm. off you know no question about it these this is what's happening and you haven't done any work for six months whatever you know whatever the symptoms are mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so it becomes really hard to even address quite obvious systemic problems around children so what do you do what do, what do you do when you're feeling that it's yeah it's at that tipping point like what, what are some of the self-care I guess strategies employed I like to spend time in nature. I like going for walks and I like going to the gym. I like exercising. I find that really, really helpful. I like talking to other people who get it and I have supervision. You know, all of these things, it's like a, it's not a one, it's not a one approach. It's like a multifaceted approach of kind of paying attention to my own sense of what's going on my physical well-being my mental well-being Mm. my kind of social connectedness well-being you know so it's just paying attention I guess to all facets of the self is what I find helpful I guess it's all kind of what we teach um you know the people that we work with too isn't it you know how to how to self-care how to employ strategies to care for yourself Mm. And, you know, I guess it's maybe building coping mechanisms or building resilience by teaching those self-care strategies. I agree. I think that what I've learned over the years is that it can't be a reactive thing. It has to be proactive. It has to be a system that's just in place. And for me, it's walking, it's yoga, it's singing, it's art, it's people. A real, really big part of it is people, but it's like I have to do those things regularly um, and if I don't then then it does become reactive then I do have to go oh I have to take some time off but there's another um, aspect to it I think Mm. which is about the self-care of having really strong boundaries like I feel like that's something I've learnt from doing this kind of work is what it means to have a really really strong Mm. boundary. Can you give me an example of that Sarah? Well, I guess an example would be from um, my current workplace where I'm doing a job which is a little bit boundary-less simply because it's a very new job and nobody really quite knows what the boundaries of it are. But I guess one of the things I learnt being a child protection counsellor for health 
was to be able to say to myself, I am not a crisis service. That is, that there are crisis services out there. I work five days a week, nine to five. That's yep. it. And so what's come up recently in my workplace is other workers making themselves available or making other people available to catch crises that they see coming. Mm. And I'm I'm actually amazed at how completely stalwart I am at going, no, that's not right. my job. Yeah, good. And, Joe, do you have any examples of boundaries? I think I'm just clearer about what I am prepared to do and not prepared to do. You know, just like Sarah was saying, that there's this kind of, you know, in order to survive the work in a way that's healthy for you, because if I'm not healthy and well, then I don't do a good job, you know, because so I'm important too in this space, like my capacity to be well-resourced and healthy and consolidated as a person is what helps my the people I work with manage the same thing so I just feel clearer about what's okay and not okay in terms of holding a frame of what's reasonable for me to take on and not to take on I guess and so better just and just being mindful of it all the time so I pay attention to what I'm doing, feeling, thinking, um, and taking on and holding hmm. and, and all, all the time. So I think for me, yeah, really paying attention to, to that kind of what, what are the boundaries in this space? What are they and what am I going to do and how am I going to hold them as a way of holding the work and as a way of holding myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And Sonia, you're, you've always been really good at this. That's my, my, <laughs> my comment. Well, I was actually thinking about like Sarah, when I used to work with you, I learned a lot about personal boundaries from you. So thank you. Oh, well, um, that's very good, wasn't it? That was lovely. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Look, I, I've, I've been in private practice for a long time now, but I have every school holidays off and I only work a certain amount of hours during the day and I'm really strict with those mm. things. Um, and then I have regular supervision well, I kind of leave that up to my supervisor to tell me when, you know, she's, you know, seeing that I might be a tipping point or something like that and I sort of really rely on her opinion and trust her. Mm. Mm. But, you know, I think just in general, I think we all have to kind of keep our life, like every aspect of our life. I mean, if when you're sort of saying a multifaceted approach, Joe, um, you know, if you look at, you know, your, your family, your friends, your social group, your hobbies, Every aspect of that has to be have something in it that's positive, something to look forward to so that, you know, if something happens in, say, your personal life or your personal family, then the rest can hold you while that, you know, happens. But I think for me exercise is a huge one for me and lots of good friends mm. <laughs> and all a bit of fun and always having something to look forward to in the future so you can always go, okay, this is a tough week, but guess what I'm doing on the weekend or yeah. You know, so you're always projecting, you know, being hopeful, mm, I guess. Mm, yeah. For me, resilience is about scaffolding. Yeah. You know, so it's that kind of when you're working with a vulnerable person, it's it's that scaffolding of what is there around you to support you right now. And so the way we're talking now about our own capacity to stay in the work is that same thing. It's that scaffolding around what is there to hold us and support mm. us in where mm. we are right now. You know, it was just so kind of clear to me that kind of that resonance between 
the clients' lives, our own lives, and you know, the lives of the kind of the system that we kind of work in as well, all those things that surround the scaffolding, what is there to support people, to resource them, to keep them, you know, to hold them up, to keep them going and to keep them kind of strong and stable. It's across every kind of facet of the work. Yeah. Yep. Mm, absolutely. And yet despite all of that, there can be those times though where there's a particular family or a particular situation that you just can't shake off, I guess. Not shake the person off, but shake the the trauma that comes with with them because we're all taught that we have to as as therapists that we have to pay attention to our bodies and you know and um, um, any discomfort that we may be feeling is giving us information about and you know possibly what that the client's feeling or the situation that they might be in mm, that kind of reminds me of something that I guess I found myself doing very early on in doing this work I was in uh, quite a, an isolated position where I really didn't have people around me I could talk to about it or feel supported by and it was almost like actually my body was my only colleague mm. that I would come away from some meeting or session or whatever it was and feel maybe shaky or sick or faint or you know whatever and go oh I don't usually feel faint sick mm. whatever what's going on and have to find a way to deal with that in myself and to take the information that had given me about what was going on in that situation I'd just been in. Mm. So I actually feel it wasn't a good start to my life as a trauma counsellor, but I do think I was quite lucky in that I had to learn that very quickly. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to some training about Alan Shaw's training about the right side of the brain and coming back and talking about that with you with you Sarah because I'd always thought why am I so tired after you know the appointment that I've just had it went really well and you know we pl- played this game and the young person seemed quite okay and happy but that was the bit of a light bulb for me was some of that learning that I'm sure we've all done now which is you know how the right side of the brain is pumping out soothing calming yeah. waves to the right side of yeah. The other people in the room that you're in the room with yeah. so no wonder we were so yeah. exhausted <laughs> at different times but yeah 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 I had a really interesting experience when I had uh, about four months off at one point which I just really needed a big break and I had a big break and probably the very first thing that I did coming back into the work was to run a group with someone which was a group of young people and I I knew my co-worker and I knew the group so I felt quite confident walking into it but it was absolutely gobsmacking and hilarious when I'm going oh yeah we'll do this and well this it's all set up la 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 and then the young people the children walk into the room and instantly I could see my co-worker kind of change up seven gears and become this person who was really quick and really on the ball and and every sense was completely working at full speed and I kind of went oh that's where I have to get to I've forgotten that space (laughs) that you have to be in but you've got to be actually switched on in every system completely fully switched on yeah it was an extraordinary experience to just experience 
that that I had taken for granted for years mm. and then come back into it and go, oh, that's the space you have to be in to do this work. Yeah, and you do, don't you? Because you just don't know what you're going to get. Oh, I almost miss doing those groups, but not quite. Not quite. Yeah, because it's great to be in that yeah. completely switched on state. Like it's a it's a very exciting kind of flow state to be in. Mm. I always have this story that just still cracks me up, which was doing a Mighty Me group with a couple of other people. One of my kids was in the group and she decided as we were introducing ourselves, she decided to say something quite racist. And it was just, you know, gobsmacking. And, you know, I managed to kind of point out the fact that the the racial group she was vilifying was actually the group that she was born into. And so that, <laughs> you know, that was that was great. But then we were doing something or other and, again, it wasn't going well and it was a bit dicey and talking about being switched on. So I always remember flinging myself on the floor and acting like a worm, just kind of just divert and distract everyone. <laughs> and everyone said, I don't know why I did that. And we invented a new game on the spot. And, um, <laughs> and it's, But it's exactly that thing, isn't it, where you have to be really, really on the ball and really um, paying attention to what's happening with everyone and, uh, yeah, to avoid a, a fight. amongst the group yeah yeah. so thank you everyone for coming on this is going to be the first episode that will go up and be running so I'm really honored that you all talked with me because you're my group my gang my posse so thank you very much thanks Julia thank you thank you it's been really great conversation thank you I hope you enjoyed hearing from these wonderful women as much as I enjoyed talking to them. In the next episode, I'll be chatting with the hilarious and multi-talented comedian, artist, writer and MS advocate, Tim Ferguson. I was thinking about resilience. It relates back to what Socrates said. Socrates said that the only thing that works in life is persistence. Mm-hmm. And really, resilience is just that. It's being able to persist in doing what you want to do. It's just with multiple sclerosis or any kind of disability or any kind of infringement. It's about persistence. Like if you want to be a dentist, nobody wants to be the dentist's first patient. Have you ever gone to a dentist, a young dentist, who says, you know, congratulations because you're my very first drill? You know. So please join me and Tim on the next episode of Resilience. Resilience is an In Your Ears podcast. Presented and produced by Julia Butler. Produced and edited by Charles Amsden. With music by Night Radio. For more information on this and other podcasts, check out the In Your Ears podcast's Facebook page. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and spread the word.